You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The NFL scouting combine started this weekend. Kyler Murray is now rumored to be the number one overall pick in the draft, and I run through who's been impressing me from the 2018 Bears tape. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. Hello and welcome everybody to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears-focused podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz. While usually a review and preview show of the game that the Bears just played and are about to play, it's the offseason, so we sort of talk about whatever it is that you voters vote for in a poll that I put up along with every single episode, which of course airs sometime between 7 and and 8 a.m. on Monday mornings. If you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find me on my handle, at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R-O-B-E-R-T, the letter K, S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. I drop thoughts. Plenty of times I do breakdown threads. I'm planning to do one later this week about Danny Trevathan. Very excited about that. And pretty much just attempt to keep you current with whatever's going on with the Chicago Bears. Right now, it's the NFL scouting combine time, and because the Bears don't have a whole lot of picks, in fact, their first one starts in the third round, there's not a whole lot of buzz. I mean, there's plenty of stuff about what we may do and what we may not do and so on and so forth, but at this point, it's all rumors. We're watching drafted guys. We're trying to figure out where they're going to go. But we don't know because we only really barely understand what Ryan Pace and the Bears' offseason plan even is. So with that in mind, I figure it's probably worth telling y'all that I don't really plan on doing a whole bunch of draft analysis. I've got some plans. I'm going to see what I can do to potentially bring in other people that know more than I do, especially when draft season really gets going. But let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Brad Biggs recently put out an article that says that the Bears may be trying to re-sign both Bryce Callahan and Adrian Amos. If that's the case, that means that the safety that I've been assuming that they were going to draft if they signed Callahan to a decent deal may not be needed anymore. And if that's the case, I don't know who they'd draft. I don't know what the Bears are going to do in their offseason. I know what I would do if I was them, but I'm not Ryan Pace, and that definitely puts me in a wait-and-see mood when it comes to the offseason. I need to know what they do in free agency before I really start thinking about the draft. Once we get there, we can start combing through combine numbers and figuring out who's going to do what but or what we need to be looking at or who to watch film on and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. But at the moment... I'm going to be going through 2018 Bears tape, and as I'm sure you've seen on Wendy's City Gridiron or on my Twitter account, I'm going to be trying to break down these players so that I can show y'all both underrated plays in Anatomy of a Play, which I started this last week, or other breakdowns that I do, who's been good for the Bears, what they're doing well, underrated stars, and, you know, everything in between. A whole lot of Bears football that already happened and analysis around that, rather than analyzing bench press reps and broad jumps and 40 times and everything in between that comes with the underwear Olympics that is the combine. And yes, I understand it's important. I understand you need to test well. I think all that stuff's well and good. But we'll get to the draft when we get there. And until then, I'll leave that to the draft, Knicks. I find myself to be more of an analyst. 
Now, if you are looking for combine and draft-related analysis and listening to some phenomenal draft nicks, I'm going to go ahead and recommend EJ Snyder and Jacob Infante. Both of them are doing phenomenal work, combing through tape, finding who's going to be a Bears fit, and showing what they do or don't do well. Highly recommend both of those guys. That's EJ Snyder and Jacob Infante, both around Windy City Gridiron. Both of them do a phenomenal job while I stick to this 2018 Bears team and going over everything about that. But before we get into Impressive Impressions, a segment that I've titled around just basically telling y'all who I've seen jump off the tape so far, I want to cover a rumor that I heard recently. So from everything I'm gathering from the Twitterverse, it sounds like the Arizona Cardinals are actually committed to this whole drafting Kyler Murray number one overall thing, which I think is kind of crazy. I mean, just last year, they traded up to get Josh Rosen, who was stuck in an offense that had almost no pieces, very little offensive line, not great receiving core. David Johnson didn't really ever get going. It was it was a rough it was a rough year for everybody involved. But they traded up to get this guy, and that's a lot of investment. As a reminder, the Cardinals traded a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick so that they could move up five spots last year to grab Rosen. And I'm no believer in the sunk cost fallacy, but I would hope that they would get something back if they are going to draft Murray. Now, setting aside what we think of Murray as a player at the moment, I know I, for one, haven't done near enough film review to actually have an understanding of who or what he is as a quarterback and runner— I think that they've got to get some value out of Rosen for this to be worthwhile. I think that Kyler Murray seems like when you've got Nick Bosa up there at number one just waiting for you to take this generational pass rusher who honestly looks like he might even be better than his brother who's outstanding in his own right, you better have good reason. And if that's what the Cardinals are going to do, I think they need a first-round pick back for this to be worthwhile. To my understanding, this is pre-draft talk. I mean, of course it is. We all kind of know that. But it seems like posturing to me, even though so many in the Cardinals orgs are coming out and saying, yeah, this is basically a done deal. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to assume this is pre-draft posturing until the moment that they actually pull that trigger and draft him. It seems a little crazy to me. Certainly reminds me of when the Browns drafted Johnny Manziel or when the Broncos drafted Tim Tebow in that we're talking about this phenomenal college player who has a very iffy transition to the NFL ahead of him. But ultimately, I guess it's Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury's decision to make. And if they want to make a bad decision, they're all just going to get fired. And that's sort of the way it goes in the NFL. If you don't produce, you're out. Very weird situation, certainly something to watch for. I would assume they're going to at least want a first-round pick for Josh Rosen, but hey, we'll keep our eyes and ears open because we've got a long time until draft season. And like I said earlier at the top of the show, I've been spending all of my time, instead of studying anything about the draft and looking into much about free agency, aside from a podcast I did recently, which, if you want my thoughts, feel free to go check that out, I've been watching 2018 Bears Tape. I've now gone and rewatched almost every single 2018 Bears game, and it's been a ride. I mean, getting to watch some of our biggest failures and some of our greatest successes in modern history has been a lot of fun to go through, and I've been taking notes the whole time on which players are impressing me and which ones aren't. Which ones did we get right during the season, and which ones have we not quite done enough service for? A good example of this is like Khalil Mack. 
We know he's amazing. So I didn't end up writing him down for this list of guys that have popped off the tape because he has always popped off the tape. So he met his expectations during this Chicago Bears year. We've all heard about it. We've all gone through and analyzed a lot of what Mac is doing. I think it's worth spending time on some other guys instead. And I've got seven names for you. Four defensive and three offensive. So I stacked them in that way. We'll go defense, offense, defense, offense, defense, offense, defense. I think that's seven. Yeah, that worked out. But yeah, just one more time before we get going. We're looking for guys who I think have been a little bit undersold. People who performed better than you might have thought they did while they were playing. Or folks that you might just remember. But anyways, let's get to it and talk about my 2018 impressive impressions. So number one is Akeem Hicks. I can't stop talking about him because I keep seeing him affect the game in a way that only an interior defensive lineman can. Now that might sound crazy to some, and I totally get where you're coming from. The way an interior lineman can? That's not a generational pass rusher. That's not an incredible free safety. Right. But an interior defensive lineman can provide pressure that the quarterback doesn't know how to handle because he can't step up in the pocket, and he can also completely dominate any run play if he gets through his blocks. Akeem Hicks is powerful like I don't understand. He's got a quick first step. He works really, really well with his arms. And between him and Eddie Goldman, they shut down so many running plays, it's not even funny. I mean, it's crazy looking back on what Hicks was able to do all throughout the Bears season. Seriously, if I showed you my note sheet, you'd just see so many little points where I've written down, there's Hicks blowing up another play. There's Hicks again blowing up a play. It's awesome. As far as examples of what Hicks is able to do, I think it's more about what he does on a play-to-play basis than it is the highlights. That doesn't mean that Hicks doesn't have plenty of highlight plays. He does. In week one, he punches through a triple block and forces a fumble. In week five, he discards his man and forces a fumble on the goal line, like standing on the goal line to keep the Bears alive in overtime. He made tons of huge plays, big sacks, big TFLs, and so on and so forth, but it's the way that he's often able to hold firm with his man move right past the lineman and eat big blocks or frankly just tackle the running back on running plays and then immediately pressure on a subsequent passing down that I think makes Hicks so special he just keeps showing up he's the motor that keeps on running tons of his huge plays come from sheer effort I love watching this guy I love watching this guy he's so much fun and he just pops off the tape another one who's just a total tape popper is Tariq Cohen now Of course, a whole lot of people are going to think that he's a lot of flash and only some substance, but as I keep watching more football games, I keep seeing Tariq Cohen's lateral mobility and his ability to accelerate to full speed like lightning show up over and over and over again. I plan on breaking him down soon, so you'll see a little bit more of what I'm talking about, but it's the way that Cohen's able to take an inside handoff, dart to his left, and dart back to his right through what shouldn't be a hole, but it became a hole because of how fast he was and how shifty he is that I think separates him from the pack. While he's not your traditional running back, and he will never be your traditional running back because he's often able to really only focus on traditional stretch handoffs or pitches with the only occasional inside running handoff just to throw defenses off, I think Cohen fits in this running back role really well because he continues to draw matchups against linebackers or folks that just can't cover him. And as you saw over and over and over in games like Week 13, in plenty of games after that, when Cohen runs a wheel route, 
He's unstoppable. Nobody can keep up with this guy. Cohen is an unstoppable force to be reckoned with on the offense, not only in the receiving game, but also in the ground game. And frankly, as we saw against the Rams, he's not an awful blocker either, especially given his size. I love watching Cohen. He makes every play a blast. Every time he touches the ball, there's this attitude of, oh boy, how many guys is he going to make look silly today? And I think that's special. I've seen Cohen more than I've seen just about anybody else in the NFL recently get tackled shake the tackle, stand still, very literally standing still, and then just jet out to the right or left in some direction or other and avoid more tacklers there. I don't know how he has the acceleration he does, but his explosiveness is outrageous, and the Bears' offense is much better for it. I know it's the comparison that gets made an awful lot, but to be brief, I think that Cohen can become kind of like Nagy's Tyreek Hill in that while they're not the same player, when they're on the field, you absolutely have to account for them because if you don't, they're just going to score on you. Case in point would be Cohen's touchdown against the Jets. They forgot about him on a screen. He catches the ball wide open and takes it all the way down the field 70 yards. But yeah, the long story short on Tariq Cohen is that between kick returns, punt returns, and offensive capability. He is lightning quick, unbelievable lateral motion, and he's going to make huge plays for the Bears, especially with an extra year of experience in the offense in 2019. I can't wait to see what he does. My next impressive impression is the Bears' rookie sensation that's sweeping the nation, Roquan Smith. The guy was an animal. So Roquan played next to Danny Trevathan, right? And both of them are will-type linebackers. So they're smaller guys, about 239 and 236 pounds, if I remember correctly. So they've got to be able to bob and weave within offensive and defensive players to make sure that they stay in the play. Well, what really impressed me about Roquan compared to Trevathan is that Roquan hits like a truck. Whether he's blitzing or playing the run, one thing that really impressed me about Roquan Smith was the way that he was able to hit with velocity without a ton of startup, usually. This kind of gave Roquan this attitude of being an attack linebacker, where Danny Trevathan would primarily play the defensive side of things, ensuring that he was in the right position holding the point of attack, whereas Roquan Smith would get a lane to the quarterback or the running back could just swoop in and hit him. He also played well in coverage, certainly better than I expected, with his big highlight play being that flip-over interception that he had against Philadelphia that was just outrageous. A really unbelievable personal play on his part. But it's the subtlety of Roquan Smith and the way that he's able to grow as the season progresses that jumped off the tape. It really did. I mean, you keep hearing the announcer say, as well as you hear the pad pop of these big hits that just have you, who they get you really excited for what Roquan's going to do going forward. I think he has a huge advantage in that he gets to work on the day-to-day -day with Danny Trevathan because Trevathan's an experienced linebacker that can help Roquan understand a lot of the minutia of various linebacking situations in the NFL. Basically, he'd help him gain experience fast. And I personally think that with Roquan's natural God-given abilities, the way that he hits with velocity, his foot speed in pursuit, his lateral movement, his ability to navigate through tacklers, all the stuff that you want out of a blue chip first round number eight overall prospect I think that the tutoring that he receives from Trevathan and the experience that he gained over this last year gives him a real shot at being an utter animal in 2019 I don't want to oversell the guy he's a very good linebacker I don't know what his true ceiling is I know I personally haven't really pegged where I think his ceiling is I mean he's kind of in the mold of a Mike Singletary-esque linebacker you know not huge but very good very fast very lateral covers a lot of ground 
But, and I know I keep coming back to it, it's the way that he's able to hit with strength and make plays when the Bears need it that I think makes him a big difference maker. His interception against the Rams speaks for itself. His interception against the Eagles speaks for itself. This guy makes plays when the Bears need it. And as he gets bigger and stronger and takes his sophomore step forward, I'm really, really excited to see what he's going to be able to do. My fourth bear that I want to mention is Josh Bellamy. Now, it might sound a little surprising to you that I'm picking somebody so far down the list after talking about stalwarts like Hicks, Cohen, and Smith, but Bellamy really impressed me, mostly on special teams. I keep seeing him as a punt gunner running down the field and downing punts at the 5-10 yard line and also making tackles in punt coverage on special teams. I'm just impressed with what he's able to do. I've gotten the impression that Nagy rewards the guys that he likes and that work hard in practice by getting them involved in the games, and Josh Bellamy gets involved a lot. He's got a couple of plays all throughout the season. The big one that I can remember is that fake screen to Cohen that ends up being a touchdown to Bellamy, and then another play that pops off the brain is in Week 15. He picks up a big first down off of a rifle throw from Trubisky, but Bellamy keeps showing up. He was clearly the fourth receiver in Nagy's eyes, and I think that Bellamy, his rise, from Mr. Dropsy to where he is now has been really, really noteworthy. He's a guy who's both effective in the offense, still gets open at a very nice rate, and participates well in special teams. He's exactly the kind of role player who you need on a Super Bowl team. He's exactly the kind of guy that you want on your team. I'm glad he's on the Bears. I hope he gets re-signed in this offseason. I think we need him. He certainly seemed to make the most out of every time his name was called, whether on special teams or on offense, and I really think that's all you can ask for out of a guy like Bellamy. As a fourth receiver, maybe fifth receiver, depending on how they see Javon Wims, I think he's very useful. Bears ought to bring him back. Certainly impressed me. Next up is a bit of a strange choice, I think anyways, but yeah, I ended up really impressed by Prince Amukamura. So here's my reasoning. Pretty much every defense that I've ever seen involves at least two outside cornerbacks. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? That you end up with a right side cornerback and a left side cornerback or a CB1, CB2. A lot of defenses do it differently. But the inevitable truth of what ends up happening, at least based on what I've seen, is that you get your cornerback one and they're pretty darn good. I mean, hopefully they're good. But if they are as good as Kyle Fuller is, and he's pretty darn good, he just made the Pro Bowl with good reason, uh, you end up needing a CB2 that's about as good as Fuller in this case. Because if your cornerback two is dramatically worse than cornerback one, they'll just ignore Fuller and throw it to Mukamura all day long. And one thing that I keep seeing is that as our defensive line has put pressure on various quarterbacks, they keep launching the ball in Mukamura's direction, and Mukamura keeps shutting it down. And I just got to give him props for that. I got to give him some serious kudos, because as silly as it may sound, if quarterbacks learn early that they can just throw the ball in Mukamura's direction anytime they end up in trouble and the receiver actually has a decent chance at catching it, that kind of ruins what the Bears defense is going for. The Bears defense was predicated last season on just suffocating opposing quarterbacks and suffocating opposing offenses during the run game. And as they force those balls towards Amukamura, who's a much more physical corner, Amukamura ends up being the one with the opportunity to finish plays, bat balls away, pick off passes, and everything in between that really sends the message of what this Bears defense is trying to do, which is to beat your offense. Now, 
Amukamura did have a couple of defensive pass interference penalties all throughout the season, but personally, I think that his play was well worth it. He covered well on a consistent play-to-play -play basis. He stayed on the field, appearing in almost all Bears games, which is obviously important, and he even makes a couple of quality running stops from the cornerback position, which, hey, I think that's impressive. He's a physical guy. I think that balances Fuller really well, and like I said, he ends up being effectively the ambassador of the Bears defense that gets to knock down passes and finish plays when they just sort of chuck the ball up. I think he did a great job this season. I'm curious to see if he'll be able to sustain this play in 2019 because with all the film on him, I'm wondering if receivers are going to be able to do crafty things to generate those defensive pass interference penalties more. But hey, I don't know. Amukamura has been playing this style for years, though, so I tend to think that not only does he have some kind of rapport with the NFL refs, but he also knows when to put his hands on guys and when not to. I seriously doubt that Amukamura, of all people, is going to be one of the players we need to watch for as a potential regression target, but I definitely don't think he'll get a ton better either. Frankly, if he can just sustain his play from 2018 into 2019, I think we'll have a very good player on our hands. Now, as we head into talking about our next player, I personally thought that Allen Robinson should have been an obvious choice for how effective he was as a Bear, but a whole lot of people ended up really underwhelmed by his season, and I think it has a lot to do with stats. So Allen Robinson finished the Bears' season with 754 yards on 55 receptions. So, of course, a lot of people looked at his $14 million contract and said, no way, that guy's not worth it. But watching the tape, Allen Robinson is the clear leader for the Chicago Bears wide receiver unit and he plays like it when it comes to big plays Allen Robinson's pretty much always on the receiving end of it Miller catches a good couple Gabriel has quite a few solid catches downfield but Allen Robinson's the one who's there picking up key first downs he's there catching deep passes that Trubisky throws into the end zone like against the Lions he's pretty much doing everything and I think that personally the, the game that best describes this is the Philly game at the very end of the season Allen Robinson was there at the start catching first downs and trying to help Trubisky get warmed up into the flow of the game, and he was there at the end catching that beautiful over-the-shoulder pass uh, that Mitch turned into a key first down, gave Parkey a chance, and, well, let's just stop talking about it from there, right? The key point that I'm trying to make here is simple. I think Allen Robinson's gotten a raw deal from Bears fans who were expecting and demanding a 1,000-yard receiver for his price tag, but instead got a very good receiver that's reliable with Trubisky and makes big plays in pretty much every game he plays in. Allen Robinson's not one to go quiet outside of the week one game where Trubisky kind of doesn't have his head on his shoulders. But especially towards the end of the season, Allen Robinson was racking up yardage, he was racking up catches, making big plays, and he's the one that Trubisky turns to when the game is on the line. A great example of this is that San Fran game in week 16. It's Allen Robinson who catches the ball on third and whatever it was that should have ended the game, but he fumbled. I think that 2019 has big things for Allen Robinson. I can't wait to take an extra special look at his tape to see what it is that he does so well and how he gets so open, especially downfield, but we'll save that for another time. Suffice to say, Allen Robinson impressed me a lot. And we'll finish with our last defensive player, and it's another rookie, Bilal Nichols. 
this guy explodes off the tape, especially because out of the 30% snaps he plays, he basically equals Akeem Hicks's normalized statistics. And by that, I mean if you take Akeem Hicks's production, about seven and a half sacks, for instance, a bunch of TFLs, and you normalize them based on the 75% of snaps he played, Bilal Nichols actually outputted roughly the same rate. Now, the numbers tell a different story than what really happens on a football field. Of course, Akeem Hicks is the, what, 11th or 14th or something best player according to pro football focus however much stock you take in those numbers but the point is that Bilal Nichols is explosive he's got a crazy first step and every once in a while the ball gets snapped and bam he's just in the backfield already Tampa has a couple of plays like this I think there's a back-to-back play in fact where Bilal Nichols and Roy Robertson Harris if I'm remembering correctly Both team up to sack Jameis Winston, and then the immediate next play after that, Bilal Nichols runs by his guy like he's not even there to get a big tackle for loss. Now, of course, that was when the game was pretty much out of hand at that point, but hey, a big play's a big play, right? Bilal Nichols gained more and more playing time as the season went on, and he continued to produce in a generally limited role, but as he grows, as he takes a sophomore step, puts on a little bit more weight, adds muscle to his frame, I can't wait to see what that first step in speed is going to be able to do. I want to dive into his tape as well. (laughs) You're going to hear a lot of that. I want to get to a lot of bears this offseason, but... I'm very excited about this young kid going forward. All you can do when you're drafted out of the fifth round is impress. He impressed a lot, especially when you consider that he just wasn't given that many snaps. Can't wait to see what he's got in 2019. If he becomes more than he was this year, we may have another defensive line star in our hands. And that is a great problem to have. But yeah, that's my show, folks. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to this off-season episode of Bear With Me. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. You will see a Danny Trevathan Twitter breakdown later this week. I'm probably going to turn that into a Windy City Gridiron article, too, just to make sure that everybody gets to see what I've got to say. And I'm planning on making him into a video later, but I mean, hey. We'll get there when we get there. Make sure you check in with the site every once in a while to get the best pre-draft and pre-free agency coverage that you're going to find on the internet. And as always, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me. (laughs) 